right, we are back. Welcome everyone and thanks for tuning in to this edition of the 615 Collector. Today is actually Thursday. It's the late Thursday night, December 8th. My name is Doug Turner. My partner here is Brandon Turner. We are your hosts. And Brandon, do we need to keep giving everybody our disclosure on our financial position? I guess we can do it, but maybe just shorten it up. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's kind of the point is to keep saying it. Um, yeah, um, we do not take sponsorships. We don't get paid to promote anybody. Um, and that's intentional as we try to stay conflict free, um, at least from anything other than our own biases. Yeah. And we are hopefully the audio is going to be OK today. A little bit different setup, not in our quote unquote studio. Um, I'm having to travel for work and and Brandon is um, got some school commitments and whatnot as well. So recording this via StreamYard, hopefully we will have good audio associated with it. But with if we don't, my apologies to all of our listeners. That's the reason why it's been, uh, and uh, the timing is a little off as well. Normally we've been re recording on Friday nights. We're doing this on Thursday night just because of some of the commitments. Actually, to be fair and full disclosure, this is round two. We had a practice round this morning. <laughs> we tried to, yep. we tried to do this early Thursday morning in advance and ahead of ahead of some work meetings that I had all day and Brandon had some practice and school commitments and and uh, it didn't record so we're back again for the second edition of this week's episode yes but, yeah. which is fine yeah. because some big news dropped so some big know. news dropped so that worked out for us but yeah that it. wasn't it wasn't necessarily fun that we had to do this over again but yeah there you go we can we can help break some of the big news now but uh, all right, where do we want to start? Why don't you give a quick rundown and we can jump right in? Uh, yeah, so we're going to um, talk about some baseball for agency moves real quick. Um, a couple of just like major things. Um, we're going to do jersey numbers like we always do. Do the half report to catch you up on the latest hobby news. Not much there. Um, and then film study, we've got NFL, NBA, and uh, a little bit of soccer. Yeah, lots of good stuff planned for the film study. And before we jump into everything, some maybe some housekeeping items. Like you said, there was a lot of breaking news. Before we do that, I wanted to say, so I was editing last week's show and I noticed, I noticed, which I do this all the time. I'm just a buffoon like this, I guess. But uh, I'm, I'm, I, you need to start correcting me. You need to speak up when you hear me say the, the dumb things. Like last week I was noticing, I said, I was talking about one of the new, I forget which one it was, but one of the quarterbacks came in and, I said the bus was leaving the train station. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking when I, I said know. that. I didn't catch that, man. But you need to just call me out when I say dumb things like that because I uh, have a tendency to apparently do that a it fair amount. It might be better to, to not do that, in fact, though. Why is that? <laughs> no, it's no, – you, you need just, to let me you know. Just, you do what you do, man. You can... There you go. I'm well, catch it. So before we get into some of the breaking news and whatnot – the one thing I wanted to touch on is we are going to end up having a new day that we're going to release the show. So to, this week was a little different because the schedules, like I said, I'm traveling for work. Brandon had some school commitments, but on an ongoing basis, we're going to change it up a little bit. We've been doing this on Friday nights, releasing on Saturday mornings. And uh, we talked a little bit about, hey, do we want to keep it going? What do we want to do here? Do we want to change the frequency? And what we agreed is that we want to keep it going, but we need to change the timing of it. And we're going to keep the frequency to weekly, but we need to, uh, it's been taking a lot of Fridays and Saturday time away from family and need to get that time back to be able to spend with family. 
And so we are going to record these probably Wednesday nights, or we might do some on Thursdays. For the most part, we're going to do Wednesday nights, and we're going to drop this these episodes now from this point forward on Thursday morning. So a little bit of change up in the timing of when we do that. So hopefully that works out good. I'm, t- I'm, I'm told from everything I read that Thursday mornings are good days to drop new episodes of podcasts. So we'll see. Hopefully that works out. But just wanted to give everyone a heads up that instead of these new episodes being dropped on Saturday mornings, we are now going to be dropping them Thursday morning starting next week and moving forward. And then I guess real quick, a couple of P- we'll talk on our PSA orders. We still have two orders in with PSA. Our PMG uh, cards are in, they've been graded during assembly. So hopefully we'll get those back soon. The other order was our 1971 baseball. Uh, and that one is still in grading. That, it's interesting because the PMG we just sent in maybe, I don't know, a month ago or so. The, the baseball cards have been in, the 71 baseball, been in there for a couple months now. And the PMGs got through and into assembly. So taking a little bit longer to get those 71 tops baseball cards graded. But hopefully we'll get those coming back soon. We can do a grade reveal on that. And speaking of baseball, well, before we get to baseball, we'll get to a couple of big breaking news. We've got some breaking news in baseball, but then also some just breaking news in basketball, in women's basketball. Why don't you you give that one? Uh, yeah. So um, today, Brittany Kreinler was finally released from her detainment in Russia. I guess released Absolutely. from the uh, penal colony or whatever you call it. Yep. Um, in a prisoner swap. Yeah, um, I absolutely. believe the U.S. They traded some arms dealer of some sort, um, but Brittany's finally coming home. So, yeah, thankfully. good news on that front. I do, I do think that that arms dealer they they swapped was the one that was in question uh, that Russia has been wanting to get swapped all along. So, it kind of makes you wonder. I think all of this was political move on their part to begin with, but nonetheless, great news that uh, she is being released. I'm going to be coming back to the U.S. and so I know everybody's happy and excited about that. Then we had some big baseball. Thought, yeah, what's well, that? A lot, people, a lot of people thought that she might not come back ever, and so yeah, yeah, uh, that was a definitely so a scary good. situation. Um, but um, nice that yeah, that no, got resolved. Sure. Then we got some big baseball news. Aaron Judge signed with the Yankees. The I think the Giants and were the other team in the running, but ultimately he resigned with the Yankees. It was a record-setting deal. He got a nine-year deal worth $360 million. And when I say record-setting, I think there's been one or two deals that in the aggregate have been more worth more than that. But on a per-year basis, his deal equates to $40 million per year, and I think that's the highest amount ever signed in baseball free agency. I think maybe 35 or $36 million a year was the highest before that. Give you in a kind of a little bit of a comparison. Bryce Harper in 2019 got a $330 million deal that was a 13-year deal when he signed with the Phillies. I think Corey Seager, when he signed last year with Texas, I want to say that deal was, what, three, oh gosh, I don't know. Was it 340, 350, something like similar, but it was, I think, a longer term. So Aaron Judge on a, like I said, on a per year basis at 40 million a year. And look, I, it, I think it's good. I, I like the fact that he's going to be back with the Yankees. I think from a card, from a hobby perspective and from a card value perspective, that's a positive. I think had he gone to a different team, not to be any knock on any team that he might have gone to, but I just think that that would have maybe, you know, had a little bit of a detrimental effect on his card values. I think the fact that he stays with the Yankees, which is the team, you know, it's an, let's face it, whether you're a fan of the Yankees or not, it's an iconic franchise. 
and the records that he broke this year for Roger, you know, with Roger Maris and Babe Ruth were iconic records. And so I think for him to stay with the Yankees, that's a positive, makes a lot of sense. And I think it's good for his card values. I did see some sales of his cards go off and, you know, last night and, and this morning, and they were up a little bit from the previous sales after this got announced. And so I do think this probably helps to firm up some of his stuff. Remember it was coming down. It had that parabolic run when he had the, the records, you know, setting season, but it had been coming down since then. And so maybe this, you know, helps to kind of shore that up and stop that decline and, and, you know, kind of bring some value back to some of that. And then also some other big free agency signings. Uh, This one was interesting. Xander Bogart signed a $280 million deal with the Padres. Remember Xander was with the Boston Red Sox. He's now with the Padres. I think what makes that deal interesting is that he is a shortstop. And remember the Padres have none other than Fernando Tatis Jr. at shortstop. Now, obviously he was injured and he got, you know, suspended for that, the PED violation this past year. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Do the Padres end up trading him? There's been talk that they might move him to the outfield. And man, if they do that, if they keep him and move him to the outfield, that's going to be a potent lineup in San Diego. You've got Soto. That's what they should do. Yeah. You've now got Xander Bogarts. You've got Manny Machado. You've got, uh, and then you'll have uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. coming back as well. So that would be really interesting for them. Uh, So something to keep an eye on. And some other interesting moves in baseball, a couple of pitcher moves. So the Mets traded Jacob deGrom, and he's now going to Texas. And and remember, he's, I mean, Jacob deGrom has been unbelievably lights out. The problem is he's had had some injury issues last couple of years, so he hasn't been on the field as much as the Mets would have liked him to be. But he will now be going to the Rangers in return. uh, The Mets have gone out and signed from Houston, Justin Verlander. And so they are reuniting Verlander with Max Scherzer. And that's going to be quite the one-two punch in, in New York. And remember, the Mets are coming off. They, you know, they got knocked out of the playoffs early. That was a disappointment. But the regular season, I think they had, what, 100 or 101 wins in the regular season. So they are now adding Verlander with Scherzer to that mix. That's going to be uh, interesting to see what they do next year. And then Josh Bell, remember, we talked about Josh Bell benefiting this last year from hitting behind Juan Soto, getting more pitches to hit because of how much Juan Soto gets walked. And, you know, he had he had far exceeded his career number averages on the season. Well, he cashed in and he is now signed a deal, a nice deal with the Cleveland Guardians. And then the the last one we'll talk about here is Trey Turner. So Trey Turner signed. He was with the Dodgers, signed a big contract, and he is now going to be with the Phillies. So he's going to be sitting atop that Phillies lineup. That's a nice addition for the Phillies who were in the the World Series this year. Couldn't close the deal against Houston, but Trey Turner is certainly going to add, you know, some potency to their lineup, and so should help them be in the mix again this next season. So a lot of really interesting and frankly really big free agency deals over the last week or so in baseball. Yeah. And then those are big numbers. Yeah. Speaking of baseball too, uh, bringing it back to the hobby a little bit, there was some talk in the hobby this past week or so about the 2022 tops Chrome Sapphire product release. A lot of guys are talking about, you know, that, that product being expensive because, and being disappointed because tops is not including autographs in the past you would get an autograph in that hobby box. And this year they are not including that. 
So a couple things. I decided to go back and look to see for comparison's sake, what does that look like? And if you look at the last few years, so the price on the box, $250, is about the same. Last year it was $250. I think the year before that it was $250. It was really 2018 um, that it was let to 2018, it was 200 but then it, it worked higher from there. So, but 200, 250, that's not a huge price increase over that time frame, especially if you compare it to what Panini's done as an example. However, the configuration of the hobby box is very different. And I think that's where people have been complaining a little bit. In 2018, you got a hundred cards and that's one of my favorite sets. I've talked about that before. I really like this Topps Chrome Sapphire Baseball. And the 2018, I got you know a bunch of boxes of those. But in that year, it was $200 a box. You got a hundred cards in a box and you got three autographs in each box. The next year in 2019, they dropped it to 32 cards in a box. So cut it by two thirds and you got one autograph. So again, cut that. So basically across the board, they cut it by two thirds, but they kept the price where it was actually the price went up a little bit. And so that's where they're making their margin. Now it, it's pretty much stayed there. 2020, 2021, it stayed at that $250 level, stayed at 32 cards per box and one autograph per box. This year though, they are keeping the 32 cards per box, keeping the price at 250, but taking away the autograph. So, you know, it, in, if you do, if you look at that product in comparison, it certainly does not offer what it used to. However, I will say this, the, the checklist this year for that product it's really nice. There's a lot of big rookies that are going to be in that set. So examples of some of the rookies that include would be um, Julio Rodriguez, J-Rod, as they call him, Bobby Witt Jr., O'Neill Cruz, Spencer Torkelson, Jaron Duran, Reed Detmers, Wander Franco, C.J. Abrams, Jeremy Pena. I mean, the list goes on. bunch of big rookies. Now, in fairness, some of the prior year sets had some good rookies as well. Like think about that 2018 set, right? Shohei Otani, um, you know, Ronald Acuna Jr., uh, Ozzy Albies, Glabar Torres. There was a bunch of nice rookies in that set as well. But anyway, so, but if you compare 2022 to say 2021, 2020, those years, uh, you know, probably a stronger rookie class this year. But yeah, the trade off is you're not going to get that autograph card. So, you know, is what it is. I will say though, I do like top strategy better than Panini's. I like the idea of keeping the price point lower but maybe changing up a little bit on the configuration in order to maintain and improve their profit margin, as opposed to kind of what Panini has been doing, which is to drastically raise the price point. And because you end up pricing people out of the market, at least this way, maybe a, a wider audience can still afford to get a box and, you know, just end up having maybe fewer cards or a little less valuable configuration to that box. Whereas with Panini, you know, it just, you end up pricing people out that just can't afford to buy the boxes. All right, so let's. That's enough on that. What else do we want to go before we get into maybe jersey numbers and the halftime report? We want to talk a little bit about the experience we went to an NBA game. Yes, and yes, some our, our listeners might be surprised to hear because because of the fact that you are our resident basketball expert and you have probably watched who knows how many thousands of basketball games. This was actually your first live basketball game that you're able to attend. Well, live NBA game. <laughs> yeah, live NBA game. Yeah, live sure. NBA game, live pro basketball. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Um, yeah, well, there's obviously no NBA team in Nashville, so you know, we'd have to go somewhere else to, to see one. So, Yep, we got to go see Memphis and Miami play in Memphis at the FedEx Forum. So what's yes. your uh, what was your take? 
It was cool. I think um, it, it felt a little smaller than I thought it would be. But I think that's because the arena is, is actually a little bit smaller because I'm used to Bridgestone. Yep. I think that that arena is much bigger, especially yeah. with like the, the upper bowl and everything. I feel like those are a little bit bigger, more of a concert you know, venue and then obviously the Predators. So, so it felt like a little bit more, everything felt like closer than I had thought in my head, which was cool, but just definitely just felt a little bit different. Um, but yeah, no, it was cool. Yeah. Well, I'm, I was just going to look up real quick because I don't know what the seating capacity of each of those are. So I was just going to look it up real quick and you're right. I mean, Bridgestone actually does have seating capacity of Bridgestone. Bridgestone is about 20,000 might be surprised to hear that the seating capacity at FedEx Forum in Memphis is about 18, a little over 18,000. So it is a little bit less, about 10% less. I thought it was, but I agree with you. It felt smaller than that. It, it felt like it would be maybe 30% less seating capacity than went Bridgestone. Well, I have to wonder if um, like the levels of seating kind of are more close anyway. Because like you look at the... Um, like behind the like behind the goal yep like that that section goes really tall doesn't it yeah is that is it like that in breakstone yeah i mean you know yeah. it, it look breakstone would be tough if you, if you were in the upper i haven't deck. been to a predators game in a while the last thing i went to in bridgestone was like a concert i think so it's kind of hard for me to like think of that yeah well, if you were in the upper deck at bridgestone it would be difficult to to see the game i mean it's quite a ways up from the court but you know, I look, and we had good seats too. We were what, I think 20 rows. We were on the first section and maybe 20 rows up on the Miami heat bench side of the court, probably around the maybe free throw line to top of the key area, roughly right in there. So had some really nice seats. It was a, um, it was, you know, I, I, it was great to watch. Look, we're going to talk a little bit about this in the film study, so we don't get into all of it now, but man, Memphis full of a bunch of bruisers and, uh, didn't yeah. get you know Miami didn't didn't we didn't get the outcome we were looking for Miami did not win the game and they struggled a little bit uh so we'll we'll talk more about that when we yeah, get it's to a very the, depleted you know, Memphis team I'm not really sure what was going on there but yeah we didn't get to see Jaw play he he had played the night before been nursing a little bit of an ankle injury he came out and warmed up and then they announced that he was not going to be playing so didn't get to see Jaw or, or or Desmond Bain so that was unfortunate but you know, but for the most, but did get to see all the players on Miami. I mean, Jimmy Butler played and, and Adebayo and Tyler Hero. And I mean, for the most part, you know, Miami was at full strength, right? I mean, they were missing, who were they missing? Um, a couple of bench players and then uh, Oladipo, who actually just played in the Detroit game the other night. That's right. Oladipo. So that was a big, yeah, that was the big loss on, on in that game. So well, we'll talk a little bit about them in the film study. Uh, let's see what else do you want to, let's give a quick update on our fantasy football card portfolio. We won't go into all details. I didn't have a time, uh, have a chance to be able to update all of the prices on everything. So we won't talk about the total value, uh, this week, but we will give the, I did, um, update prices for the moves that we want to make. We are going to make a couple of moves. So the first one is we're going to cover our short position in Jalen hurts. Remember we had, I think, was it the 2020, Panini Prism Silver in a PSA 10, his rookie card. We had short sold that at a price of $975. The 
The average of the last three sales, according to Card Ladder, are uh, as a price of $818.33. So we have a profit of $156.67. We're going to capture that profit, cover that short, and and move on. I think. Look, the we we put that short on because you know his card values more than doubled. They went sort of parabolic when at the you know midpoint of the season when the Eagles were undefeated, and he's obviously having a good year. I think now that they've pulled back a little bit, there's a chance as the Eagles continue, you know, this last week they had a great game against Tennessee, which again, we'll talk a little bit about in the film study. Some news came out of that. But I think the Eagles, you know, clearly looks like they're going to be in the playoffs. If they end up making a run for the Super Bowl, I think there's a chance his card values could tick up a little bit. So I'm going to take advantage of the gain that we've got, capture that and move on. The other thing I'm going to do, this one may be a little bit surprising to folks, but we're going to double down on our position in Derek Carr. Look, the Raiders are probably not going anywhere as far as the playoffs are concerned. However, they have put together a couple of nice wins over the last couple of weeks. Derek Carr and uh, Devontae Adams have, you know, Adams has put together a couple of nice games as well. That connection seems to be maybe starting to hit on all cylinders. And Derek Carr's stuff has come down quite a bit in value. So we had four cards. He has the 2014 Tops Chrome in a base, PSA 10. And we had four of those when we originally bought them. The average price of the last three sales was $52.33. Well, according to Card Ladder, last three sales, the average price is now $25.70. So it's been more than cut in half. So going to take advantage of that decline. I just think that's too cheap for him. Going to take advantage of that. Going to double down by four more cards at that price of $25.70. Do a little bit of dollar cost averaging. We've had some success in Dak Prescott, in um, C.D. Lamb, Debo Samuel, some of the cards where we have dollar cost averaged our position, we've had some success. So going to try to do that again with this Derek Carr card, and we'll we'll see how we do on that. So those are the two moves that we're going to be making this week, and I think that that's it on the, the fantasy card portfolio. So where do we, do we want to do, uh, want to do predictions for 2023? Yeah, yeah, talk about your predictions. Yeah, we jump into that real quick. Won't be too long on this, but figured, hey, it's that time of year, right? The end of the year, start looking forward in next year. And in the hobby, you know, I've been hearing people, some people talk about, okay, what's in store for 2023? So look, we don't have any kind of crystal ball, you know, probably take our predictions with a, with a grain of salt. They're probably not worth, uh, you know, the two cents that you might apply to them. But the, I think what we'll do, what we'll, do, you know, again, just have a little fun with it. Right. And, and, um, I think from a value standpoint, I think the market probably hits a bottom in the first quarter and then and then we can move forward from there. I think this recent announcement, a couple of recent announcements that we've seen, right? So the one from Tops about the MVP buyback program uh, on the those the Tops Chrome product with Aaron Judge and Paul Goldschmidt cards. I think the announcement they did with SGC on the grading, the $9 grading on the Bowman Chrome cards, those I think were very cool and i hope and so maybe this is a little more of a hope than it is a prediction but i think that that kind of creativity when it comes to you know coming up with some sort of marketing plans programs and just other promotional types of things that that different companies in the space whether it's manufacturers like tops and panini or whether it's the grading companies or you know whoever and tops member owned by fanatics now I just think we'll see, I, and I hope we'll see more creativity like that in the types of programs offered. And I think that'll generate a lot of interest in in the space. 
I also think, and this, no, again, no, nothing earth shattering here, no surprises probably, but I think you're going to see a fair amount of consolidation. I think whether it's a combination of people just not being able to make it anymore as the market comes down, there's going to be probably, you know, in the terms of the number of breakers, the number of grading companies, maybe even, you know, card shops, things like that. There's going to be content producers, whatever it is, there's going to be some people that'll fall by the wayside. I also think it'll be consolidation in terms of acquisition activity and merger activity. I think you're going to likely see either some of the smaller players who need to get bigger to get more scale and size to compete with the bigger guys doing some sort of acquisition to get that size and scale. Or I think you also could see some of the bigger players, you know, scooping up some of the smaller ones in order to kind of protect their competitive position and maybe add some additional, you know, assets and or, you know, value to their to their to their business portfolio in, in things that they didn't have before. So I think consolidation will certainly be a theme. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We've got some news in the halftime report that we're going to talk about out of fanatics that um, that might drive that. And then, like I said, on a value standpoint, I think we hit the bottom in Q1. I think whether that's the case or whether it's Q2 or who knows when it happens, I think next year we do see a leveling out and maybe establishing of that base that we talked about that'll kind of set the tone for the next cycle that we can build on and grow off of. And so I'm hoping that happened. And one of the things that I think can contribute to that is I do believe, look, we've talked about how we've seen the same cards over and over again, a lot of these auctions. I think you're going to see that change a little bit next year. I think there'll be less availability of some of those iconic cards. I don't think you'll see those same cards selling for as often as you have in the past year or two. I don't think it'll be as, as publicly available as they've been. Again, not saying they're not going to sell, just saying you're not going to see them maybe as much as you have over the past year or two. And, and look, that may also play in the consolidation um, theme too, right? With auction houses, a lot of auction houses doing a lot of auctions, more so than we've had maybe in the past, probably see that start to scale back a little bit. And, and then I think you'll see the hobby become more mainstream. I mean, we've seen that a little bit with some of the marketing stuff that Fanatics has done. I think you'll see more of that next year. And I think you'll see more of that over the next several years. Remember the players associations are involved with this now. So I think you're just gonna see, you know, sports card culture and and promotional and marketing activity become a lot more mainstream where people are going to be hearing a lot more about cards and the market and whatnot than maybe they have in the past and so anyway so there you go there's our you know thought we'd have some fun with it at year end there's our predictions for some of the things that we think might occur in 2023 as it relates to the hobby all right now with that let's go ahead and move on we'll do jersey numbers um today is show number 61 um, so we got yeah. jersey number 61. Um, a couple of like, uh, football hall of famers. Yeah, like every time from now on, just football hall of famers. That's it. Yeah, we've got a few others. Just nothing in yeah. basketball. Well, like the other ones are very scarce, I would say. But yeah. Um, so I'll take the first one. You take the next one. The first one's Curly Culp. And he was a defensive lineman. Actually got drafted by the Broncos. Uh, in 1968 didn't really play for them though they tried to play him on the offensive line that didn't work out ultimately they dealt him to kansas city where in his second season he helped kansas city win the super bowl and several years later he got traded to the houston oilers who have ultimately became the tennessee titans and in his first year with houston they finished 10 and 4 which is pretty good considering that that was their first winning season in eight years 
So he had quite the impact there. He does have a card in the 1971 Kellogg set. Those cards came, they're called Kellogg's because they came inside the Kellogg cereal boxes. So his first kind of official rookie card is considered to be in the 1973 top set, which by the way, I think that set's a pretty classic set. In my opinion, I love the design and, and look and feel of that particular set. All right. And then we have Bill George, also Hall of Famer. He was a second round pick by the Bears in 51. He played on the defensive line. Um, the NFL Hall of Fame site says this about him. He began his pro football career as a middle guard in the then standard five-man defensive front. Two years later, in a game against the Eagles, George made a now historic move that permanently changed defensive strategy in the NFL. Um, so on passing plays, his job was to bump the center and then drop back. But George, noting that the Eagles' success at completing short passes just over his head, he decided to skip the center bump and drop back immediately. Um, and two plays later, he caught the first of his 18 pro interceptions. While no one can swear which middle guard in a five-man line first dropped back to play middle linebacker and create the classic 4-3 defense, George is the most popular choice. Um, he did also kick some as well in 54. Um, I think he had yeah, 13 uh, points after touchdowns and four field goals. So Ricard is in the 56 top set. Um, which is another classic football set. It was the first, yeah. I think, Tops football set after they acquired Bowman. Yeah, that was the first football set Tops produced after acquiring. I think they acquired Bowman in either 55 or 56. And then that 56 set was the first one they produced. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. So he's largely known as the guy that changed the game and and, and establishing what's now kind of classically known as the 4-3 defense. But before that, it sounds like teams used more of a five defensive line set. And so that's pretty cool. Like we said, none really in the NBA or WNBA. We did have a handful in baseball and a couple in hockey. In baseball, I don't think any that were in the Hall of Fame, but a few notable names that our listeners might recognize. You you should know a couple of these. One is Brant, Bronson Arroyo, who's a pitcher, longtime pitcher for Cincinnati Reds. Uh, you were a fan of his. You're obvious. You were obviously a Reds fan when you were younger, and and uh, you had a couple of his cards. He's kind of known for the, in his pitching. Uh, style. He had that, he's kind of got a, I don't know how to describe it, but it's a, it's it, his signature mark is the way he does his leg kick and his windup. It's just a, it's a unique, unique windup that he does, but his rookie cards in the 1995 sets. You also had another, a few pitchers here. Josh Beckett was another one. He played um, and uh, he, he played for several different teams over the course of several seasons and his rookie cards are in the 1999 and 2000 sets. And then you have uh, LaVon Hernandez, who also was a pitcher, rookie card in the 1998 sets. He played for a bunch of teams, I think had a 17 or 18-year career. And then Chanho Park, another pitcher, played for the Dodgers among several other teams, his rookie card in the 1994 sets. So there you go. There's the names we had in baseball. Then we got a couple in hockey. I did see where I think there were only something like 35 players that ever wore the number 61 in hockey, but there were a couple that were, you know, had de pretty decent careers of somewhat notable. All right. Yeah. So uh, Rick Nash, he was selected first overall in the 02 NHL entry draft by Columbus. He played 15 seven seasons. He was nominated as rookie of the year. did not win it, but he was nominated. Yep. And he tied for the NHL's leading goal scorer in his second season, which was 41 goals. And his rookie card is in the 2002 sets. Yeah, there were several other players. I think two or three other players that had 41 goals that season as well that he tied with. But there you go. That was not bad. And then Corey Stillman, uh, he was drafted sixth overall 
1992 by Calgary, the Flames. Played with several teams over the span of a 15-year career. Did win the Stanley Cup twice. Interestingly, it was it was back-to-back, but it was in 2004 and 2006. And so if someone says, hey, wait a minute, what about 2005? Well, 2005 was when the lockout occurred, so there was not a Stanley Cup that year. He is one of only a few players to win back-to-back Stanley Cup championships with different teams. And his rookie cards are in the 1994 and 95 sets. So there you go. There's our jersey number 61 athletes. Corey Stillman, Rick Nash in hockey. Bill George, Curly Culp in football. And then baseball, it's a bunch of pitchers. Bronson Arroyo, Josh Beckett, LaVon Hernandez, Chanho Park. Who are you going with? Um, Bill George. We'll go with him. Yeah, I got to agree with you. I'm going to go Bill George as well. He's in the Hall of Fame. He was a second round pick by the Bears in 51. And hey, he changed the game, largely credited with the creation of what's now the 4-3 defense. So yeah, got to go with him as well. So unanimous for Bill George. All right. Um, Well, I think that'll be that for Jersey Numbers. So with that, we can go ahead and move on to the halftime board. All right. Well, yeah, in the halftime report, you got to get your popcorn ready because we've got some hobby, some hobby, hobby, hobby. See what I did there? Hobby, some hobby, hobby drama, hobby drama. I got some hobby drama, which is, I guess, somewhat typical, not unusual anyway in the hobby. But a few different things we'll touch on. We don't have resolution on a lot of this. So really, we're just going to report on kind of what's happened, but don't necessarily know how all this stuff's going to be resolved. So the first one. And, and I got to be honest, I'm not 100% positive this is legit. It looks legit to me and everything I could see and find on it, I think it is. But nonetheless, we'll just put that caveat out there. And that is that there was a breaker that opened a box of 2022 National Treasures. And this was the collegiate football. And the breaker had their Instagram handle. You can look it up was turn to breaks. And there's a video they posted of that. Um, all, a lot of these breakers, if they're reputable, they'll record their breaks. And so those are available for people to view if you want to. And in this case, open the 2022 Panini National Treasures Collegiate Football. And guess what? It was empty. No cards in the box. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. So not sure. Ultimately, they're going to probably have to reach out to Panini or the distributor or wherever they got that box from and figure it out. Now, they did make everybody hole in the break. I think they had some other boxes. And so they just applied anyone that was in that break to a different break of another box of that same set. But nonetheless, there you go. Thought that was uh, pretty. I don't know if that was a quality control miss on Panini's part or how that happened, but that's pretty crazy. So if we get any more information on that, we'll report And then the other one was Sports Card Radio, which is a popular YouTube channel. They've been critiquing Ken Golden a little bit, and we won't get into all the details on that because we just don't have time to. But and and they're look, they're kind of a controversial content producer in the hobby. They tend to produce sort of gotcha pieces and try to go after folks and expose wrongdoing and that type of thing. But sometimes they can be a little bit uh, well. Sometimes they might not be 100% accurate in in the reporting they do, and they can maybe be a little bit aggressive and make a lot of assumptions. Well, anyway, they've been going after Ken Golden a little bit, attacking him for some of the things that maybe has been part of his past. And now Ken Golden is fighting back, and 
I don't know if he's actually sued them, but it was reported that he is at the very least threatening to sue them. I'm assuming it's for defamation of character. So we'll see where that goes from here, but um, it's just more drama in the hobby. And then the other, the last one is the, this one this time is Jeff Wilson with Sports Card Investor, popular person and company in the hobby, does a lot of content producing, also has, um, that's the company that owns the Market Movers app, and which is similar to Card Ladder in terms of producing, you know, showing kind of values on cards and all that kind of stuff. And, and has a number of other, I think, investments in different, I think he's an investor in Dibs, the fractional platform, and some other businesses in the hobby. And well, you know, it came out that he took what's referred to as the PPP loans. Remember when, when COVID hit and the government shut businesses down, one of the things they did was put together this PPP program where businesses, sole proprietorships and so forth. It was meant to be for small, mid-sized businesses could get loans from the government to kind of help keep their operations running and stay afloat, pay employee salaries and benefits and that type of thing, and keep people employed um, so that they wouldn't have to lay them off. And, and you know, kind of it was meant to be a stimulus for the economy during the shutdown. And then there were rules in place where if these businesses that took these loans could prove that they spent that money in the way in which the government wanted them to, like I said, on employee salaries, benefits, that kind of that kind of thing, then they could get those loans forgiven and not have to pay them back. Well, anyone that took these loans, it's publicly available information. So anyone can look up and find that out. And I will say, look, there were, I mean, who knows how many, millions probably of, of businesses and sole proprietors that ended up taking these loans. A bunch of businesses in the hobby. Jeff Wilson, sports card investor, is was not the only company in this space that took one of those loans. But nonetheless, it came out, it got reported that Either him individually or his company took a $2.25 million PPP loan and that ultimately that it was forgiven. And he kind of he's the, the people that brought this up kind of brought, you know, put him under the microscope and he came under fire because they were saying, hey, look, the hobby, the business was thriving. There was no reason for him to take this and no reason for the loan to be you know, forgiven, all that kind of stuff. Look, I get what people are saying on that. But what I would say is I think it's unfair for anyone to judge him and that and his company, because, again, there were a lot of businesses that did this. So if you're going to go after him, you need to go look at all the other businesses in the hobby that did the same thing and look at what they did. And, you know, some of this is it's what the government did. Right. I mean, and, and so you follow the rules that the government put out there. And this is what you got. And so I, I don't blame anyone that took advantage of that, because remember, this wasn't someone doing something necessarily unscrupulous for a lot of companies. There was a lot of uncertainty during that time. It's easy now to look back with 2020 hindsight and say, oh, you know, yeah, you didn't need that. The hobby was thriving. But at the time, no one knew that would be the case. Right. The government shut our entire economy down. And and so, like I said, the whole point of this program was to keep people employed, to keep them you know, with with incomes and benefits and those types of things. And a lot of businesses, while their businesses might have been OK at the beginning when this program first got started, you didn't know how that was going to turn out. You didn't know how long this was going to last and whether your business was going to hold up. And so a lot of companies took it out more as a safety net and a precaution in case some in case this continued and got much worse than they thought. And then, like I said, if you could demonstrate that you used the money in the way the government intended for it, then then, you know, based on the rules of the program, you got it forgiven. So I don't see how you can fault 
these, you know, some of these people that did that and the companies that did it. Look, were there some that took advantage? Yeah. And that came out. There were some large publicly traded companies that took the money, what it was not intended for them. It was intended for small, mid-sized business. Some of those companies ended up paying that money back and um, kind of getting out of the program where, you know, there were some stories that came out of some people that took the money that didn't need it and spent it on other things, didn't spend it on employee salaries and that type of stuff, but maybe spend it on, you know, buying sports cards or whatever the case may be. And look, for those people, they're not going to be able to get the loans forgiven, right? Because they're not going to be able to demonstrate that they, you know, use the money in the way in which the government intended it to be. So anyway, I, you know, probably already spent more time on this than I need to, but I just figured I, I wanted to mention this because I think it's unfair to judge him and his company for this. And like I said, there's a lot of companies that did this. And I think it's easy to look at this in hindsight, but this is the program the government put out. You know, again, a lot of uncertainty at that time. And I think it, you know, it's tough to, like I said, it's tough to after the fact play armchair quarterback and, uh, you know, and, and try to call him out for anything. So anyway, that's all I had to say on that. All right. Moving on, we have that Upper Deck resigned, or sorry, re-signed Connor McDavid to a long-term contract extension to be the exclusive provider of McDavid collectibles, trading cards, and memorabilia. Yeah, that um, was and nice. Then, and then Fanatics raised another $700 million at a $31 billion valuation. Um, that capital is going to supposedly be used for merge and acquisition activity. Yeah, so um, here's my question on that. So they... They, they got 700 million in the bank. So a lot of people are going to probably say, oh, here we go. Panini acquisition in the works, right? That's been rumored for a long time. We'll see. I think there's another acquisition that I think is more likely to happen. And that is something in the sports gaming app space. They've been sort of rumored to be interested in a company like Rush Street. Now I should caveat this. Rush Street's publicly traded. I absolutely do not recommend anyone go out and buy Rush Street on the hopes that Fanatics acquires them. That is not the way to go about it. But nonetheless, there have been a lot of rumors tying Fanatics to Rush Street and the potential for them maybe to do an acquisition there. We'll see. Fanatics has made it well known that they want to be in the sports gaming space. They want to do an acquisition there. And so my guess is it's more likely you see them do something there than necessarily with Panini. But who knows? $700 million is a lot of money. They could do both potentially. So we'll see what happens with that. But obviously with that fundraise, likely to see and fanatic set right they're going to use those funds to do some merger and act and acquisition activity so we're going to probably be breaking some news here in the not too distant future of of you know what fanatic who is fanatics going to acquire and how are they going to use that money and by the way their previous fundraise sorry to interrupt but their previous fundraise valued the company at 27 billion dollars back in march so what is that six or eight months ago and it's a $31 billion hmm. value now. So $4 billion increase on a $27 billion base. What is that? Maybe 15%, give or take, 16%, something like that. During a time when the overall economy and the, and the financial markets as a whole have, have actually come down. So, you know, pretty good for, yeah, for them. All right. And then we had some auction updates. So we had a ticket stub from Wilt's 100 point game in 1962 that sold for $22,200 in the REA fall auction. Yeah, that REA auction, we said it before, a lot of cool things in that auction. I was scrolling through the the uh, results of that. If you want to f- see some really nice cards and nice collectible items, kind of scroll through um, the, the, the final results from that auction. That's kind of a fun thing to do. 
One of the things was an Ernie Banks rookie card that sold for a record amount. It was in a PSA nine and it sold for $198,000. All right. And then we had a Mickey Mantle 1951 Bowman rookie card, um, which set the record in the memory lane auction. PSA nine sold for $3,192,000, which is more than four times the last sale. That was in 2018 for 750000 Yeah, that memory lane auction was another one. Uh, I think it was, can't remember if that was called the fall or the winter auction for them, but that was another one that was a pretty interesting and pretty cool uh, auction, had a lot of nice stuff in it. One of the cards I noted was the 1969 Mickey Mantle, the tops, I should say, Mickey Mantle. There's two of those. One has his last name in white. One has his last name in yellow. I've got the one with his last name in yellow. I've been trying to get the one with his last name on white. I just hasn't, haven't been able to make it happen. I actually bid over the course of the last couple of years in some auctions on, on a car on, you know, one or two cards that have come up in that regard and just, and ultimately didn't win those. But this was in a PSA nine, which is a very low, I don't have the pop count in front of me, but it's very low at that high grade. And it set a record selling for $933,484. And that was in that memory lane auction as well. And then we can touch on maybe some, we'll call them card ladder record sales. These are some of the record sales that card ladder reports. Some of these came from some of those auctions. So the first one here did, it was the 1954 Bowman. You mentioned the 51 Bowman. This was the 54 Bowman Mickey Mantle in a PSA 9 that sold for $294,000 in that memory lane auction. All right. And then we had a 2018 National Treasures um, SGA RPA Gold uh, out of 10, number out of 10. It was a BGS nine and a half. Um, was this autograph was was ten as well. Um, yep. It sold for thirty one thousand two hundred dollars on PWCC. Yeah, so there's a good example of you know recent performance on the court, on the field, whatever you want to say. In SGA's case, beyond the court, uh, translating to increased card values. And we got a couple others on the list like that. So the next one is the 2020 National Treasures Justin Jefferson, who we've talked about him in the last couple of shows and and the great season that he's having as well as the, the record start, you know, to in the first three seasons of his career. But this was the true RPA rookie patch autograph. So serial number to 99, it was raw, not graded. And it sold for a record $2,290 via eBay. And then a couple other notable ones here, you had a, uh, a, an Ichiro that his rookie 2001 Bowman Chrome. This was the refractor in a PSA 10 sold for $11,887 via eBay. And then this next card, our buddy Dale, who's been our third man and has been a guest host on the show a couple of times. He's got one of these, actually one that I had sold to him. I've got one of these as well. It's a 1961 Topps Hank Aaron card. This is, there's two cards in that set, I believe of Hank Aaron. This was the MVP uh, card, and this was in a PSA eight, and it sold for record $660 via PWCC. And then there's a couple names on here that we don't see very often. So 1957 tops Brooks Robinson. I don't think that's his rookie card. I could be wrong about that, but this one was in a PSA seven and a half sold for a record $5,500. And the last one on the list was a 1980 tops Otis Anderson He's running back for the Cardinals back in the day, I believe, if I'm not mistaken on that. I think he might have played a stint season or two with the Broncos as well. Could be wrong on that. Anyway, this was in a PSA 10 and it sold for a record. We'll call it $800. Technically, it was $799.95 via eBay. All right. Um, well, that does it for the halftime report. So let's go ahead and move on to film study. 
Okay, well, we can start. You want to start in the NFL and then go to the NBA? Yes. So a lot of, lot of big news in the NFL. The, we'll start with some big injury um, notes from this past week. So obviously one was Jimmy G. He, uh, it was, there was some concern that he might have had a, what they call, I think it was they call Liss Frank injury to his foot. Yep. Turned out that's not what it is. So that if that's what it was, would have been season ending. That's not what it is. So now thinking that he might be able to be back for the playoffs with the 49ers, assuming they make it which I think they will, but nonetheless, that was a big injury for them. Lamar Jackson also got injured and he's been dealing with some injuries for the past several weeks, but he, uh, he left the Bronco game, did not return. And, uh, that man, don't even, I don't even, I shouldn't even brought that up. Right. Cause that was the Broncos just found another way to lose in that, in that game. That was a tough one to watch. And then probably the biggest news that came out, Vaughn Miller, remember he suffered a knee injury. I think it was last week or the week before. Actually, I think it was the week before last. Uh, there was some thought that he could be back, though. Well, now, as it turns out, he is out for the season for Buffalo. So that's a big loss for Buffalo. Um, certainly going to have an impact on their defense and their potential Super Bowl champion or, or Super Bowl prospects, I should say. Um, so we'll see what happens there. And then the uh, the other big news that was this week were the Titans, your beloved Tennessee Titans. They fired their GM, John Robinson, in a very surprising new, you know move after the loss to the Eagles. And yeah. it should be duly noted that the Eagles, well, first of all, they, they kind of blew out the Titans. It really wasn't a close game. But then secondly, A.J. Brown, remember, used to be the wide receiver for the Titans. They traded him to the Eagles in the offseason. That was kind of a head-scratcher move. A lot of people weren't really sure why they did that. I think we even talked about that on our podcast uh, the week after that happened. Seemed like a, an odd move. Well, he went off in this last game, got eight catches for 199 yards and two touchdowns. And then, you know, right after that, boom, John Robinson, GM, gets fired midseason, which is odd. Tennessee's in first place in their division. think they have a record of, what, seven and five, likely going to be mm -hmm. in the playoffs. They were in the playoffs last year. Lost to, was it Cincinnati last year? Yep. They lost? Yeah. Yep. Who were eventually the AFC representative in the Super Bowl. I think the year before that, or maybe it was a couple years before that, if I'm, whatever year, it was in the recent past, they lost to Kansas City, who was also the uh, ultimate AFC representative in the Super Bowl. So, I mean, they've been a, you know, they've been a pretty nice, pretty good team for the last several years. That's in no small part to a lot of the moves John Robinson has made. Look, I know that that trade on A.J. Brown was something that, you know, everybody kind of questioned. But, man, do you really do, you, you know, again, there's a lot of rumor and scuttlebutt about why John Robinson got fired, but certainly has the optics after that, you know, firing him right after this Eagles loss, that it might have had something to do with that. The Titans organization, the owner, didn't really, you know, it was a little bit cryptic in the information provided, didn't give any specifics about why he was let go. There were a couple things said that kind of gave you the idea that it could be related to, you know, this Eagles game. But man, if I'm a Titans fan, I got to be a little bit concerned that are you really making these kind of rash decisions after a game like that? And I don't know, it seems like, because again, if you want to make a change at GM, why does it need to happen right now? What's the GM going to do between now and the end of the season? That's going to, you know, there's just not much, you know, we're past the trade deadline and, you know, the drafts, you know, not coming up. So 
what are they going to do? It, it, this feels like something that could have happened at the end of the season. To do it now seems really abrupt. So it's either there's something else going on that we don't know about, maybe never will, or if this truly was just about, hey, you know, we lost to Cincy last week. Now we lose to the Eagles this week. You know, in order for us to maybe take that next step, they feel like they need to make a change. But, man, I don't know. I feel like there's got to be something else going on. Just feels like a little bit of an overreaction um, if that was the case. If there, I guess if that wasn't the case. Yeah. And there's I, been I some know. talk. Just, um, yeah, go ahead. It's like you would be it's like a scapegoat at that point. But I just I don't think that's like that can't be right. Yeah. And there's been some talk about maybe there were some things that happened on the plane, not only maybe from this game with the Eagles on the plane ride home, but maybe the game against the Packers. Um, a little bit of rumor around that. There's also some rumor that this maybe was Mike Variable flexing because um, there was a opinion story about him potentially, you know, getting um, an Ohio State coaching job. I think he played at Ohio State, right? But who is it, Day, the coach at, at Ohio State? I mean, they're in the playoffs, right? I can't imagine Ohio State getting rid of him given the success that he's had. But, but again, you had an opinion piece out there about Mike Vrabel linking him potentially as, a, as someone that could – you know, become a coach at Ohio State. So is this a situation where Vrabel used that to his advantage and flexed a little bit, went to the ownership and said, hey, I want more control. We need to make a change here. I mean, who knows? There's been a lot of rumor, a lot of talk, a lot of speculation about what might have caused it. But I have to think as the owner of the of the Titans, you have to know that when you make this move right after the Eagles game, right, right after the, a big loss to a team, that has A.J. Brown that you traded to, who it's no secret that there was some disagreement in the organization about whether that trade should have been made. And then you make this move right after that. You have to know the optics of that and how that's going to be perceived. And so it just the whole thing here just feels odd. And like I said, if I'm a Titans fan, it would have me a little bit concerned about how well managed and how rational is the decision making of the ownership group given given this sort of turn of turn of events here in in the last week or so with this yeah i don't know it is it is really strange weird timing absolutely so all right let's move on the only other thing i had really in the uh, nfl that i want to touch on was geno smith we haven't talked a lot about him with seattle but he's having an absolutely outstanding season he's what 30 30 or 32 years old and he's got 22 touchdowns this year, six interceptions, a better than 108 quarterback rating with over 3000 yards passing and on a completion percentage to get this nearly 73% completion percentage. And I was looking at some of his cards, his rookie cards in the 23, 13 sets. It doesn't appear it, a little hard um, to gauge the trend because it's not in the, the card ladder, um, um, you know, player index or anything like that. So these aren't ver verified sales. But looking at some of the sales data on some of his cards, it doesn't look to me like they've really moved a whole lot just yet, maybe a little bit, and maybe it depends on the card. But so that one, you know, look, if you're a Seattle fan, Geno Smith fan, could be interesting, or, you know, just, you know, want to look at a potential collect collectible opportunity. He could be one to, to look at because, you know, he's probably going to be the starting quarterback in Seattle for, you know, a few more years to come here. And 
they're looking, you know, they've got a good shot to make the playoffs this year. He's having an outstanding season. They could potentially, and like I said, if, you know, what, 32 years old, he could be in that spot for, you know, several more years. And so, you know, stuff's relatively inexpensive. We don't, we've not given him a lot of uh, airtime, talked a lot about him. So I thought I would uh, bring him up this time because I do think he's uh, an interesting one to watch. He's one that, you know, I may, he's not in the problem. I would put him in our fantasy card portfolio. The problem he's not in card ladder. Uh, and so I, you know, given the rules we've established, if card ladder would add any of his stuff and where we could get some verified sales, I would probably add his, his cards to our fantasy portfolio. Cause I do think there's some opportunity there, but want to go NBA? Yeah. Lot to talk about in the NBA. Where do you want to start? I mean, you got Trey young, you got the Kuzma trade rumors, Donovan Mitchell went off against Lakers. You got the Lakers in general and Anthony Davis and LeBron James looking strong. You got uh, what we talked a little bit about our experience of the Miami game and, and kind of what's going on there. You know, Boston put a thumping on the Suns. The Pelicans now get thrusted into first place in the West. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to start? Minnesota's, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of things we can touch on here. I guess we'll start with Trey real quick. Kind of an interesting situation here. That I don't feel like we really know the full story on. People were mad that he didn't show up to the arena when he was injured during a home game. And he had got into some... I guess into like a little bit of a spat with the coach um, and shoot around that morning. Yeah. And their coach is Nate McMillan, right? The Atlanta coach, Nate McMillan. Yeah. He's a former, former player played with, uh, might've been a few teams, but Seattle supersonics is, is who I remember him playing with back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. With rain man and the glove. Yeah. But yeah, he had a little bit of spat with him because he's dealing with the shoulder thing. He didn't want to, do shoot around he wanted to get treatment instead coach wanted him to do shoot around and get treatment during walkthrough and then hopefully play but like i said trey didn't want to do that and so the coach gave him an option he said well if you're not going to shoot around you can come off the bench or you can not play and trey opted to not play i mean then just ended up not showing up to the arena um i think that a lot of sources have yeah well i don't know i feel like we don't know the full story and I also think that I, I want to mention that a lot of sources have kind of misconstrued um, Nate, McMill- Nate McMillan a little bit, and they've said that he gave the tray he gave Trey options to either come off the bench or don't show up to the arena, which is not true. <laughs> he said that he would never tell he never has never will never would tell a prayer, player not to show up to the arena at all. It's not what he said. He said don't play in the game. Um, that was the other option, not don't show up to the arena. Um, so just get that clear. And, but yeah, but it does sound like maybe I've, I've heard there's a little bit of, I, in my travel for work this week, I went through Atlanta. And so I had an opportunity to listen to some sports card radio. And there was definitely a lot of, uh, talk on how Trey Young could be maybe losing the locker room a little bit and support of the team and, and the coaches and whatnot. And even so far as there's been a lot of talk in, at least in, in like I said, in the Atlanta, um, you know, sports talk radio and, and area about maybe them trading, consider trading him away. They've obviously been looking to move John Connors for some time. And there, like I said, some talk and rumor speculation that uh, maybe it's time to tear it down and and trade away Trey Young, see what you can get for him, and 
and you know start over yeah i don't know i haven't heard anything about that so maybe it's just in atlanta but it seems like uh i don't know it seems like a weird thing to do <laughs> they just got to jonte murray I, I don't know but i guess he might he've had issues in the past like this but i'm not really sure look we well, don't know this maybe story, speaks so. a little bit too uh, yeah and, and this speaks to we look I do think there's a little bit now there's some other things happening here right that are causing some of the friction but i think in general there's a lack of patience in pro sports right not just basketball we see it in the nfl with quarterbacks with any position for that matter but quarterbacks especially and we see it here in the nba where gosh if a if a player comes in a team's not winning championships right away that something's wrong and we need to change it all up and and you know look at the look uh, so just looking at this and kind of the ages like jordan as an example he was 28 years old when he got his first championship shaq lebron steph 27 years old when they got their first championship Giannis, 26 when they got their first championship and so in comparison look at some of the young stars in the nba today like a trey young he's 24 right so four years younger than jordan when he got his first championship uh, luka Doncic, john moran they're 23 uh, Zion Williamson, 22. So, you know, these guys are four and five or six years younger than, you know, guys like Jordan, LeBron, Shaq, Steph, uh, at the time that those guys won their first championship. And so I do, you know, look, there's, I do think that um, in general, there's just this kind of lack of patience where people expect these guys to come in and just start winning right away. And it's hard to do. And it takes some time, I mean, to develop. And some of these players can, may, you know, maybe get the and, and look it also depends on the team you have around you as well. But I, example I give in football, I think we've used before is like a Josh Allen, right? When Buffalo first got Josh Allen the first year or two, I mean, they thought that was a huge mistake for Buffalo to get him and they thought he was a bust. And now, you know, you look at Josh Allen and people think he's potentially, you know, in the running for MVP of the league and and Josh Allen's going to take Buffalo, you know, to the moon or at least to the Super Bowl. And we'll see if that happens. Hasn't done it yet, but, you know, obviously had a great season last year and Buffalo's looking good this year as well. But again, they were ready to run him out of town and now all of a sudden he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. So just an example of where I think this sort of lack of patience in general in pro sports and we're, we're seeing a lot in basketball, a lot in football, all sports for that matter. Yeah. But I definitely think, um, you know, I, I and, and look, I think for some players, it's potentially ruined their careers. Like some guys never got a shot because maybe they came in in the first year or two and they didn't play as well as maybe, you know, owners and fans and, and others would have liked them to. And so they, so teams moved on from them and maybe those guys never got another shot anywhere. And so they never, maybe never kind of were ultimately able to become the player that they could have been because of this lack of patience that a lot of these teams show. Yeah. I mean, I think that I don't really understand why, because, I mean, you look at all the teams that have won championships, and it's very rarely just a team that's just thrown together with a bunch of stars. Like, that's very rare. Like, it's usually built up over time. You have to build the team up over time. You have to build the winning culture up over time, and you have to have – your guys get experiences um, in the playoffs and stuff over time. Like you look at, I think the Bucks are, are a great example with Giannis. I mean, they had the best record like two or three years and didn't win it. Everybody thought that 
they needed to blow it up or whatever, or at least that they weren't as good as, you know, the record said that they were. But, you know, it just took time, and they eventually did pull it off. I mean, I think same thing with Golden State. Took a while to develop Stephen Clay. Obviously, Michael Jordan <laughs> took a minute to develop the Bulls. Same thing with Kobe. LeBron is a bit of a different situation in Miami, I think. But with Cleveland, I think the same thing is true. I mean, yeah, you just and look, look at a lot all of those. these guys. Like, you look at, like, like Toronto in the past year. All they did was add, like, one piece like I, you could probably look at the championships in the last decade; they were all built up over a long period of time. Twenty eleven Mavericks, yeah, for sure, and even even the Heat teams with LeBron, like they had the 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 culture built up with Dwayne Wade and the organization already there, and they just kind of brought in you know one extra player, or two extra players, and uh, and figured that out. Yeah. Well, and one of the things a lot of those teams had, at least historically, we talked about this. We were watching the Miami Memphis game is and, and the question I've got is is post play the way it's traditionally been historically in the NBA. Is it dead in the NBA? Because you just don't see a lot of teams doing this anymore. I think back to, you know, the the Lakers with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the Celtics with Robert Parrish or Kevin McHale or even Orlando and the Lakers with Shaq. Um, you could look back like Patrick Ewing, Akeem Olajuwon, Ralph Sampson. You know, you could just look back at a lot of these teams and these, you know, even go back further to Bill Walton or, or even further than that to, you know, a Wilt Chamberlain or a Bill Russell or whatnot. But it just, you know, like we were watching that Memphis game and we were noticing how Memphis had such a physical size advantage over Miami. But and look, good for Miami. Right. But they didn't take advantage of it. And they didn't, you never saw them, for example, you know, whoever Tyler Hero would be guarding, that guy would have probably 40 pounds on him. And they never posted him up. They never took advantage of that and posted him up. Or look at Aquaman, right, for, for Memphis. Never did they sort of put him down on the low block, feed him the ball, and, and let him with his back to the basket, you know, make a post move and score. I don't think we saw that happen once that used to be a big part of the game. And so that was kind of the question I was asking you afterward is, Hey, look, is, is that, is that traditional post play dead in the NBA? I think it, yeah, for the most part, it's, I mean, it's not like it was, and I, I don't really agree with that necessarily. Like I agree that it should be. There are definitely some players that still do it. You got like Jokic, I think is a great example, but he kind of plays a little bit differently. Um, but, but he, he will get down the block. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot I of the most part it is. I mean, the, the three-pointers, and they, they like people like guards now. And, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't really get it. I feel like more teams should. And I feel like you see a lot of the good teams still do. Like, I think Phoenix is a great example. They still take advantage of the mismatches. And I think Aiden is more of your classic big. Yeah, and that's a, it feels like a lot of the teams in in today's game, the – the bigs are more playing outside beyond the arc, right? They're like, look at Carl Anthony. Yeah, they want them to stretch right? the floor. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're, they're more out on the three-point line. Now, someone like Bam Adebayo for Miami, I mean, he is athletic, and so he can do that. But at the same time, and maybe well, not again. Really, maybe not Bam's again. Not really, Bam's probably not a good example because he doesn't shoot threes. 
Well, but he my, does shoot a lot of jumpers. He doesn't shoot threes, but he he wasn't posting up. Now again, maybe it's yeah. a bad well, he, use case well, against he does, Memphis because they've not. got some size over him, right? But still, I and and I get he's athletic, so he can move around, play maybe a little bit more like a four or a three than a five. But I don't know with his height, and again, maybe not on Memphis because of the physicality of Memphis, but. I think with other teams, take advantage of his height, post him up, let him use that athleticism to make some post moves around the rim. But you just don't see that. Well, you see him making post moves. He's just not like drop stepping that often or, you know, using footwork like, like you know, Kevin McHale or, or, or I guess Jokic would. He's more getting to a spot in the lane or he's spinning uh, into a, you know, short, eight to 10 foot jump shot is what he's doing, which is, you know, I mean, that's a pretty classic Hakeem move, but that's like what he, that's what he likes to go to um, because of that length. So yeah. I, I don't know, he does, but it's just like not in the same way, I suppose. I think it's interesting. Miami is uh, pretty, has struggled against Memphis in like the past few years. I think that really might be why, honestly, is the size. Um, yeah. Cause I've never quite, understood that completely besides just the fact well, that memphis is a good team memphis um, is a good team but you and i were talking about this they're full of bruisers i mean aside from jaw it's like they got a bunch of bruisers and they got jaw who you know just in terms of the the physique of the player jaw is sort of the odd man out there uh, man it, it's unbelievable i mean memphis really is full of a bunch of big stocky you know bruiser type guys and that probably to a player had 20 or 30 pounds on everyone on on Miami. Now, then you I got think, Jaw. Jaw's different, but Jaw didn't play. Maybe maybe Miami would have done better had Jaw played cuz he he more <laughs> fits the style um that that they have and they play with. So, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I think that I was thinking with this today. I wonder if um I wonder if Jimmy kind of struggles to play his game a little bit more against Memphis and that's part of it too because he plays that very much bully ball game. Now, Jimmy's a strong dude. I mean, he can he can wrestle with most guys in the league, I would say. But, I mean, against all those big guys, I wonder how much harder it is for him to play that style um, and actually, like, finish shots instead of just getting fouled all the time and, and just getting two free throws, you know? So Yeah, there was definitely something going on with Jimmy in that game. He I wonder. didn't seem to be you know, um, at the top of his, of his game, I think certainly the Memphis's size could have something to do with it. I think there's, you know, he's, you said he's been injured, just probably a little bit of that that had something to do with it as well, but let's move on. Speaking of post play, you know, Anthony Davis in LA, in LA, just in the Lakers as a whole, keep killing. Now that said, you know, not to get two topics in one here, but Donovan Mitchell went off on them and, uh, you know, had over what forty plus points and and had a nice stat line, and they they ended up beating the Lakers. But Anthony Davis has just continued to string together. I think he had what over fifty points and maybe seventeen boards a game or two ago. Um, continues to be lights out. LeBron starting to look pretty good. And hey, Lakers, you know, still at the bottom of the pack in the West, but certainly you know certainly come up from where they were. Have been winning yeah. games recently. And the West is tough, and I think that they've – I mean, the Lakers have won the majority of their last 10 games, I think, um, like the vast majority of it. So it kind of seems like they're kind of figuring things out a little bit. Anthony Davis is 
finally playing out of his mind like Anthony Davis. So we'll just see if he can stay healthy and, and we'll see um, if they can sustain it. Cause yeah, it definitely seems like they're kind of finally figuring out. I think Brooklyn is in that same category. It seems like they're kind of starting to string together some wins too. I kind of need to watch more of them, but it, it seems like they're in much of the same boat as well. Well, and, and, you know, yeah, speaking of that, Zion, the Pelicans are now speaking when I when I say speaking of that, what I'm referring to there is the can they stay healthy? Can AD stay healthy? That makes me think of Zion as well. He's another one of those guys. Can he stay healthy? But with uh, what Boston did to Phoenix the other night, uh, that sort of thrust Pelicans, they are now in first place in the West, which is no surprise. We've talked about them and how sneaky good they could be this year. That C.J. McCollum move last year was a good one for them. Obviously, you've got Zion coming back. They've got a good team. Well, here it's now showing their first place in the West. But when I look at the card... Willie Green's got them guys playing good defense, too. Yeah. But when He's I look got, at they those... They've got some good coaching. Absolutely. And I've looked at some of the card values of Zion and of Anthony Davis. And it's interesting because even though they've been lights out on the court, card values haven't really moved up that much. They've kind of, now they haven't been going down as much as they were. They've kind of maybe flattened out, but haven't moved up th that much. And I think it's because those are two guys, an example, because they've had some, some history with injuries. I just think that there's a lot of people that are maybe a little skeptical, a little hesitant to jump in and do anything for fear that, you know, as soon as they make a move, they might you know, go out and get injured and be out for the rest of the season. And so I think those are two guys that are going to have to be a little bit more of in a show me mode and have kind of string together, you know, several games over a long period of time to be able to demonstrate that they can keep this up and stay healthy before maybe you see some of their card values start to move higher. And look, we were joking before we started recording, or maybe it was in our practice run this morning that we forgot that we didn't, the recording didn't work for whatever reason, but we were talking about how the sort of irony of it is that Anthony Davis in that Cleveland game where Donovan Mitchell went off, he was out. Now he wasn't out for injury. Apparently he got, you know, was sick, but nonetheless still missed time. Yeah, he was, well, it was funny because it was the national TV game for TNT you know, everybody's watching. And so at the top of the broadcast, they were talking about how Anthony Davis was saying that he was taking it personal that Charles Barkley calls him street clothes. And then like five minutes into that game, he leaves the game with flu-like symptoms and doesn't return, which he was trying to play through. He had a fever earlier in the day, so he was already trying to play through it. Um, and then about five minutes in, went back to the locker room and didn't return with the, with those symptoms. But so not injury, sickness, which is different, but I just thought it was still funny. <laughs> yeah, ironic for sure. There were also rumors that Washington might be looking to trade Cal Kuzma. And the Phoenix Suns, as well as Atlanta, was kind of in the mix on those rumors. Uh, Phoenix, uh, it was speculated that maybe Crowder would be part of some type of transaction. I know that probably... It's not music to your ears, given that you're hoping Miami might be make a move for Crowder. So we'll see what happens with that. I don't know if Atlanta being in the mix is because of some of the scuttlebutt that's been happening with Trey Young that we talked about earlier. What are your what's Could your take? Of Collins. What's your take on uh, the rumors surrounding Kyle Kuzma being traded? 
Well, I don't know what Washington would really want for Kuzma because Kuzma has been playing great for them. Um, I mean, he's kind of really, really shown what he can do in Washington. He's gotten a bigger role. So I don't really know what they can get from the Suns or the Hawks that they're going to want. I think Kuzma on the Suns would be interesting. I think if they're going to the Hawks, that would probably point to maybe a John, a John Collins for Kuzma trade. I'm not sure about the Suns because you would need more than Crowder. And I don't know why you would trade Kuzma for like a couple of guys. You'd be giving up a lot of scoring, I think, um, and a lot of rebounding for, uh, I don't know. It seems kind of weird to me, but yeah, uh, of course it's just rumors, but. Well, and, and we talked about the, um, the thumping that Boston put on. Boston is obviously looking a little, you know, along with Milwaukee and, you know, maybe one or two teams kind of as the class of the NBA right now. And, and Jason yeah, Boston Tatum, is clearly, clearly and, the best team I think right now. Yeah. Yeah, and Brown and Tatum are just uh, going off one-two punch. I'm looking at Tatum's card ladder index. Interestingly enough, last six months, it's down nearly 40%. And now, again, we've talked before, you got to kind of go look at some, you know, individual cards. So I'll pull up, as an example, his rookie cards are in the 2017 sets. And so I'll pull up his 2017 Donruss Optic. I'll, I'll look at the Hollow. I like that one. And I'll look at it in a PSA 10 because they don't have a 10 and with any of the other grading companies in there. But if I look at the value of that, the last sale on that card was $510 from just a couple of days ago. Uh, but over the last few months, it has ranged from, you know, maybe the high 300s, maybe 350 to 500, somewhere in that range. However, if you go back six months ago, you know, that card was trading in the four to $600 range. So it actually has been still trending lower and maybe it's found a little bit of a floor here in that three to four hundred dollar range. Who knows? Um, and we'll have to see this. You know, this last sale at five ten, one transaction doesn't make a trade. But Tatum's another one of those guys that could be interesting to look at some of his stuff because um, you have not necessarily seen. Now again, last year you saw a move up in his stuff, but then it's been coming down in the off season in the early part of this season. And so he he's another one that could be interesting to watch because if if the Celtics get to the playoffs, which is looking likely they will, and make another run for a championship this year, like what they did last year, then uh, you know you could who knows? I mean, you could potentially see some of his stuff start to start to pick back up in value again. I All mean, right, he's uh, he's he's my pick for MVP right now. So I mean, I think he's also yep. generally the consensus at least top three so yeah absolutely all right well we are running a little bit long so do you have anything else on nba no i do not okay we don't really have any hockey planned i will note that nathan mckinnon i saw got injured he's going to be out for several weeks so not good for the avalanche but we don't have a lot planned on that today we'll we'll put some hockey stuff together and maybe go through that on our next show i did want to touch real quick on the world cup in soccer before we wrap up because I was a couple things on that one. I was watching the, the, the match between Argentina and Australia. Of course, Argentina is, is who Messi plays for. That was a great game. I tell you, it's a lot of fun, I think, to watch Messi play. He is just, uh, it just when he has the ball in his hands, or in his hands, <laughs> when he has the ball uh, in his feet, I guess you would say, I don't know what the appropriate phrase there is for soccer, but he is dynamic and, uh, and just fun to watch. And here's what's interesting in the World Cup right now. Obviously, the USA lost. They're out. 
And I did look at uh, Polisic's cards and some of his recent sales have been lower as a reason, you know, which I think is as a result of the USA getting knocked out, but it's, you know, not enough transactions yet to be able to call it a trend. Um, but here's, what's interesting there. So we're in the, the, um, quarterfinals, eight teams left the big stars, Messi with Argentina, Cristiano Ronaldo with Portugal, Mbappe with France, Neymar with Brazil, they're all still in it. And what's more interesting about that is that of none, none of those teams face off against each other in the quarterfinals. So it's possible that if all four of those teams win, then in the semifinals, you would have Argentina, Portugal, France, and Brazil all playing each other. I say each other, they, you know, it's not like it's around Robin, but they would all be in the semifinals and squaring it off against one of those other teams. And so you would have Messi, Ronaldo, Mbappe, and Neymar all in the, the semifinals. Look, no disrespect to any other teams who I'm sure would love to win. I kind of hope that happens because I think that would be kind of fun and exciting for soccer and for the World Cup to see that and see all four of those guys in the semifinals and see them all squaring off against each other, which would guarantee that two of them are going to square off against each other in the finals as well. And I think that could be um, pretty interesting and pretty fun to watch. So, all right. Yeah. I think that's it. I think that's going to be the show today. Hey, thanks again for all of our listeners. Like I said, apologize. We had a little, some little bit of hiccups uh, today with the recording, not working this morning, having to do this at a, at a different hour. We are doing this very, very late on Thursday. So maybe you didn't have the same kind of energy as we, we normally would. And hopefully the auto audio quality was okay, but uh Nonetheless, we thank all of our listeners for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed it. And Brandon, why don't you go ahead and take us out? All right. Yeah. Um, once again, thank you, everybody, for spending some of your time with us. Uh, we do want to hear from you. So please message us on social media or email us. And that email is on our website. If you have questions or ideas or topics for a future show, uh, we do love to hear from you. So please don't hesitate to reach out. Also, check us out on social media and follow us. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And check out our website, www.the615collector.com and subscribe to our email list. Yep, and please help us spread the word. Tell a friend about us. Encourage them to listen to the show. Follow us, as we always like to say, on your favorite podcast outlet. And please give us a five-star rating if you're so inclined to do that as well. That helps us out. We'd appreciate it if you do that. And so that is it. That is a wrap for show number 61. Thanks again, everyone. Please remember, like we said at the top of the show, we are now going to be releasing um, the episodes from this point forward on a new day each week. It's going to be Thursday morning. So with that, we will see everyone next Thursday here on the 615 Collective.